Last week we talked about prayer. How Paul's thanksgiving and his joy, his confidence, and his affection for them made him erupt in prayer. And we talked about prayer last Sunday. Today uh, we are going to look at the content of his prayer. And I wonder to myself, at this rate, we would never get out of Philippians. I'm looking at the second half of chapter 1. I am looking at the big mountain that we have to climb. And it is only chapter 1, and, and I don't know. Uh, but we are going to look at the content of his prayer. And last Sunday, I've talked about famous pastors, how they... Name this section, verse 9 through 11. MacArthur talks about it as essentials for growth in godliness. Philman, he says, intercession for the Philippians, spiritual growth. Sinclair Ferguson, prayer for growth. Steve Lawson, the nature of prayers. While we understand as a Christian, as Christians, we all know that we need to grow to categorize verses 9 through 11 simply as growth is to take away the seriousness or the urgency of Paul's prayer. Because when you hear the word growth or spiritual growth, it has no terminus, it is indefinite. It has no direction. It has no strategy or final goal. You know, people often say, I'm not growing. I want to grow. I need to grow. And usually when people say that, they have teaching and preaching of their pastor in their minds. So I need to grow. I need to grow, but I'm not getting it. And so on. So instead, I would like to use the term sanctification to describe verse 9 through 11. Not simply growth, but sanctification. You know what the main difference between growth in general and sanctification is? The main difference? While the sanctification also has growth in it, it has a different outlook or aim to that growth. That is, it has holiness or Christ-likeness in mind. So it is not simply, I want to grow, I need to grow, but I'm not growing. But when you look at these three verses in terms of sanctification, it is not simply growing in my knowledge, but it is about that, but also it assumes my growth in holiness. Becoming more like Christ so that a person will not be able to simply blame their lack of growth in somebody's teaching or preaching. But sanctification, you have your own responsibility as well. With that in mind, we are going to read verse 9 through 11. Instead of growth, look at it as sanctification especially because of verse 10. And this I pray, 
What is he praying? And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. It's not simply I need to learn more, but I need to approve the things that are excellent. I need to be more sincere and be blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with fruit of righteousness, to the glory and praise of God. It has everything in it. What Paul has in mind is not a separate category for spiritual growth. From verse 9 through 11 is basically about normal Christian life. If you are a Christian, this is what your life is all about. In this succinct summary... I mean, everything is there. Everything about Christian life. It is all there. So we are going to look at it, but I cannot once again look at every single thing that is in that section. There is one main sentence in verse 9 through 11. What is it? I pray that your love may abound still more and more. That's the main thing. Once you have that, Verse 10 and verse 11 will follow. Right? If you don't have that, if your love is not growing, if your love is not abounding more and more, verse 10, approval of excellent things, verse 11, bearing fruit, it's not going to happen until your love may abound still more and more. So main clause is verse 9. So I would say this. Sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is about your love. When we think about sanctification, what comes to your mind? I need to read Bible. I need to pray. I need to evangelize. I need to give, serve. And we think about all of those good things. But according to Paul, the main thing about the sanctification, your sanctification, therefore about your Christian life, is about your love growing. That's the main thing. And we are going to look at that love. Verse 9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. We'll stop and think about this question. When I was reading this, my first question was this. He prays for the Philippians that their love may grow, abound still more and more. But their love for what? Your love for what was my question. The object, the object here is missing. It's not there. So your love for what? 
Your love may abound still more and more, but we have to answer that question first. Philippians' love for what may grow. In the context, you could provide three objects, and all those three will make sense. First could be their love for Paul himself, because so far he has been expressing his thanksgiving. To them for their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. They have been supporting Paul for all these years. So he may be saying, Your love for me may grow and abound more and more. So you could provide Paul as the object in that sentence. Another would be, Your love for God may abound still more and more. Or you could say, your love for one another may abound still more and more. So you could provide these things. It is not there, I believe, because it was Paul's intention to live it out. So you could provide their love for Paul, their love for God, their love for one another. So for example, Steve Lawson, in his Commentary. It really is a sermon. But in his commentary, he picks one another, love for one another. He thinks in this verse, Apostle Paul is praying for them, for their love, for one another to grow. So he says this, what Paul is praying for the Philippians is that they will have a greater love for one another. He petitions God that they will grow in their love yet more and more. So he could say that, but I believe, for my part, supplied object of love should be, first and foremost, for God. Because your love for me or your love for one another will really not make sense in verse 10 and 11. So my choice for that missing object will be, I pray that your love for God will abound more and more. And we know by loving God, we could love other brothers and sisters more and more. So I will supply that first and and think about other things. Let me ask you this. Do you know what love is? We grew up in church and we hear about this so many times. What is church? What is church? What is the gospel? What would you say? Love. Grace. Forgiveness. Death and resurrection. We hear about this all the time. So when we encounter this, and the, when the object is missing, I think it is a good time for us to think about what love is. That your love may abound still more and more. So I will start from there. According to 1 John 4.8, there is an interesting statement. This John is the John that, who wrote the Gospel of John. And he says this, Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. So before we think about their love for Paul, for one another, if we may think about God, their love for God, I want to begin with this idea that God is love. You probably have heard about R.C. Sproul and in his ministry, Ligonier Ministries. R.C. Sproul, he wrote a very famous book, and I've talked about this a few times. The title of his book was The Holiness of God. I don't know how many of you have read that book. So Isis Sproul, people think about Isis Sproul, they think about his book, The Holiness of God. It's a tiny little book. And the basic thesis is this. He argues that the most fundamental attribute of God is His holiness. Because he says... Nowhere in the Bible it is said that God is love, love, love. But it says God is holy, holy, holy. So he is thrice holy God. So God may be love, but that love is holy love. That's, that's basically the thesis of the book. The holiness of God is the most fundamental attribute of God. Problem is, if you read only that book, and if you admire Arsis Sproul and his ministry, everything else that you think about will be filtered through that book. Holiness of God is important, but according to that verse, 1 John 4 8, Bible does say. God is not simply loving, but God is love. So if God is love, not simply God is loving, but God is love, if there is any trace of love to be found in life, it must be traced back to God who is love. So let me go against what Archie Sproul is arguing that the holiness is the most important, most fundamental attribute of God. So basically he wants people to think about God, God as holy. But let me throw a couple of names in and try to correct that. First name is Gehardus Voss. Here's the question in his dogmatics. Do all the earlier theologians give the same scope to the concept of God's holiness? That's a question, and he answers, no. There are those who include all the rational attributes on the holiness, love, grace, mercy, and so on. So what Voss is saying is that holiness shouldn't be the only category under which we think about God. There are many attributes that you could equally emphasize. Love, grace, mercy, and so on. 
Question 82 in that dogmatics question is, is it necessary to take the concept of holiness in such a broad sense? He says no. God's holiness is first and foremost about the Holy One. Because He exists in Himself and nothing can be compared to Him. The metaphysical gap that exists between him and the creature is therefore expressed by the concept of holiness. You know what he's saying is this. What is the meaning of holiness? Kadosh in Hebrew. As you know, holiness is to be set apart. Right. So when God is said to be his holy, God's holiness, what is emphasized according to Voss is that the difference between God and the creatures. To be separated, you need something else to be separated from. So God's holiness is emphasizing that God is God and the rest is his creation. So he says you need to supplement that concept. God is holy not only insofar as he is eternal one, but also insofar as in his dealings with his creatures. He claims everything for himself and makes it subservient to his purposes, sets it apart, and hallows it. So my conclusion about that, what Voss is saying is this. In order for us to have a full-orbed concept of God's holiness, creation or creature must come into play. Only in comparison to creation, His holiness will shine. It is to be separated. It is to be differentiated from His own creation or creatures. So without creation, God's holiness really is separate from what? Set apart from what? That's right, from creation, before even after sin, now let me bring you in, uh, bring another name into this discussion, John Frame. This week, you know, I broke this verse up, and I had some time to think about God's love. In my basement, I have few books, and I was just looking at the titles of the books. Do I have a book that has anything that says God's love in it? Do I have any book that? talks about love of God. I couldn't find any. Only thing is God's love by Isaac Sproul, but nothing really. There is justice, there is justification, cross, resurrection, ethics, everything else, but I couldn't find a single book in my bookshelf that talks about love of God, God's love. Where do you find God's love? In systematic theology. So I have quite a few. So I opened a few books, thick books, to see where they discuss the love of God. And as you could guess, everyone talks about love of God, God, God's love under the heading of theology of God, God's attributes. And not many books would have a separate chapter on God's love. You see while we talk about love, 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 not many people know what that is. And only in relation to the cross, that's how God expressed his love. But John Frame has a chapter on it. And listen to this. 
Some of God's attributes are necessary to his being, so that without those attributes, he would not be God. Unlike any other theologians, John Frame says, there are few attributes that you must have as God. Without them, you are not God. You cannot be God. And examples of these are, first thing that he mentions is his love, knowledge, and eternity. God would have these attributes, listen to this, even if he had never created the world. I will call them necessary or defining attributes. So, you see what I'm saying? Very famous theologian, R.C. Sproul, says, The holiness of God. God is holy. That is the most fundamental attribute. Because He is thrice holy God. When you think about God, I want you to think about God's holiness. Voss says, no. Frame says, no. Because holiness really is about Him being set apart from the creation. So in some sense, holiness is emphasized only after the creation. But according to John Frame, if God is without love, if God is without knowledge, if God is without eternity, God cannot be God. What I'm trying to say here is this. When God, when the Bible says God is love, and we are talking about Paul's prayer that your love supplied object for God, your love for God may abound still more and more. I want you to understand how fundamental it is for our God to possess that, not simply as a character, that he is a loving character. But Apostle John says he is love. Nowhere in the Bible it it is said that God is holiness. But God is love. And we need to take that character, his essential character, seriously. So, these attributes are not in competition against one another. But simply to correct that Sproul's thesis. Second thing that we could think about God's love is this. Three religions, they say there is one God, monotheism. The Jews, Christians, and the Muslims. But do you know, only our God is capable of love? Think about Jewish God and God of Islam. God is one, simple. God is the creator for them. But that kind of God, as only one simple God, does not have object of love before the creation. You could say, well, God loved himself. And they will not say it is herself or itself, so it is he. But you don't want to go down that Road because you end up saying, you will end up saying, well, he is a narcissistic God. 
So before the creation, they, that God cannot love because simply there is no other object to love. When creation comes, that God is going to learn a new thing. And by definition, that is not God. God who cannot, and God learns something along the way after the creation, that is not God. And only God who could love is our God. Why? Because our God exists necessarily as three persons. Before creation happened, our God is capable, capable of love because Father loving the Son, Son loving the Father, Spirit loving the Son, and so on. So our, our God is one God, but yet He exists eternally and necessarily as three persons, yet one God. So Jewish God is deficient God. Islamic God is also deficient God. They cannot love. By definition, their being will not allow it and if they learn a new thing after the creation, that is not God. It destroys itself by definition. So our God is only God who is capable of love because he exists as tri-unity God. And Apostle John says God is love. Sproul could emphasize holiness of God because when, you know people could abuse the concept of loving God, right? God will forgive me no matter what I do. I can live whatever kind of life. God, in the end, will forgive me. Love wins. Rob Bell kind of deal. So I understand holiness is very important. But let us not underestimate that sentence. God is love. And our God is true God and superior God, if you want to put it that way. And the attribute of holiness, Jewish God could claim it, Islamic God, Muslims God could claim it, but they cannot claim love as their own God's character or essence. With that, same John in the same chapter in verse 19, first John 4:19 says this: "We love, why? Because He first loved us." So, when Apostle Paul prays, I pray for you guys, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. I cannot say here, guys, love God, and let's pray. Only way that your love may grow and abound more and more, according to Apostle John, you love because he first loved us. You lack your love for God because you have not Meditate upon God's love for you first. So the only way that you are going to grow in your love for God is to go back to God who is love and think about and read about all that there is to learn about God's love from the Word. If God's holiness was the attribute, what would happen after the fall? Holiness will override his love and it will be creation, fall, and consummation, everybody to hell. Because God as holy God, if that is the fundamental attribute, God will be just. And God will demand justice, righteousness. And our first parents will just straight, they will just send straight them into hell. But it was not so 
And it was God's love that motivated him to save the sinners. Let me give you a few examples from the Bible. The very obvious place, the first place that we could turn to is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, as important as any other attribute is. For us, we treasure God, we love God, because God loved us first. In what way? For God so loved the world, because of His love, He is giving His only Son. It is not so much mercy. It is not any other qualities in God but love. Why? Think about that. Only by loving, even in our human sphere, when you love someone, you go above and beyond. Only if you love someone. If you're not caring, you could do the minimum and sit back. Only by loving someone, you'll go on an extra mile. If God is simply merciful, God could not, God would not have given His only begotten Son. But for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Right. So when we think about love of God, we don't want to think about some concept of love apart from His giving of His only begotten Son. But what I want you to know and focus here is, for God so loved the world. That was his motivation. Sole motivation. What about predestination? What do you know about predestination? Well, we could turn to Apostle Paul, who knew something about predestination. And how does he begin that great discussion of predestination? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and following. It's not he predestined us. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. What about Ephesians 2? But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What about justification? What do you know about justification? Well, Paul knows something about justification. In his discussion about justification in chapter 5 in Romans, right in the middle of it, twice, he says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you would ask Apostle Paul, what, what's going on with God saving us? He will always say, it is God's love. That's why Christ came. He sent His only begotten Son. So only by knowing God's love, we know God. As John Frame said, 
to know God is to know God's love. If you don't know what God's love is, then you don't know God. You don't have saving knowledge of God in Christ. Now we briefly talk about sanctification. Verse 10 is about sanctification. We are looking at verse 9. But the main clause is verse 9, and everything depends on verse 9, that your love may abound still more and more. In result of that in verse 10, you will approve good things to remain without blameless and fault. You will be sanctified not so much by not sinning, but by loving God more and more. We often think about sanctification in that way. To-do list, check mark, check mark, check mark, and I am growing. According to Apostle Paul, for verse 10 to happen, your love should be growing. So apart from your love growing, there is no worship. How can you worship today without some love for God? How can you sing songs to God? How can you pray to God without love? Why do we love? Once again, according to John, because he loved us. What is conversion? Conversion is finally, by the grace of God, First thing that happens in your conversion is that God's love is, is, is pouring into your heart like flood. Your heart is being flooded with God's love by the Holy Spirit. That's conversion. In conversion, what makes sense is His love. Nothing else. So think about your sanctification as your love being increased first and foremost. And it says, your love may abound still more and more. We will stop with that today. He's praying for their love to grow. But in what fashion? Until this this moment in chapter 1, we glean from that few verses that Philippian church, that Paul along with other people founded some 10 years ago, they've been supporting Apostle Paul. If this love is for God, for Paul, for one another, which, like I said, it makes sense, whatever that you choose to supply as an object. But starting from God, toward God, our love may grow more and more. And for Paul and for one another, yes. But... He's praying, maybe, that though you've been faithful up till this moment, you still have more room to grow in your love. So, our love, we could talk about many love. God, for God, for the church, for the church family, for one another, between husband and wife, and to our children, children, for their parents, for the society, whatever it is, as Christians, we need to learn that we have a room to grow in our loving God and loving others. There's no such thing as, I've done enough. Also, true love is something that you do not say, I've done it, but true love will constantly 
have that character of growing or increasing. Because you don't want to say, for example, let's say to your wife, I have loved you 10 years ago. Static love, stagnant love, at least in this sense, is not biblical love. It must be growing. Our love for God will not be enough for us to say, 10 years ago, when I was converted, I was really, really, I loved God. But it has been getting colder and colder. Life is already hard with the things that is out of control, such as illness. But think about all the miseries that happen and you deal with because of lack of love. If, you, if your love has stopped growing to God, toward God, you are in a serious danger. This love is not something that you say, I know what love is and move on. If your love is not growing, abounding more and more, you, got, you, you need to have that red light blinking in your head. Something is wrong with my spiritual life. Translate that into our everyday life. If your love for your family members are not growing, then that's not a happy life. So what do we do? Many things. But I would point to this. Like I said last Sunday, this sanctification, verses 9 through 11, is set in the context of prayer. Unlike justification, sanctification is that you put all these means of grace diligently into practice. You just just don't sit there passively and say to God, God, sanctify me. We use the means of grace diligently. That's sanctification. But at the end of the day, this is how the Westminster Confession says about the sanctification. What is sanctification? The answer, sanctification is the work of God's free grace. We do anything and everything that could benefit us in growth toward God and to other people. You cannot stay still. You cannot stand still and say, somehow my marriage is going to work Somehow my relationship with my children, it is going to work out. Unless your love for them is growing, it will be an uphill battle. But at the end of the day, the sanctification is the work of God's grace. That is why Apostle Paul prays to God for them to be further sanctified. So how can you grow most, at the most fundamental level in your love toward God and other people? You must pray. You have to plead with God. If you sense the danger in your life, my life is stalling. My, my Christian life is stalling. Don't blame it on other people. Don't blame it on other things, what is lacking in this church. But is there desire in you to be more like Christ? 
to stay sincere and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. When you put that holiness into that context of your growth, it, it, it will bring another dimension to your spiritual life. And pray fervently to God to grant you that sanctification. Fact is, all of us, if we are not growing, we are dying. If we are not growing in our love to God and to other people, it's not staying still, but it is decreasing. So we are in a very great danger of falling back. And that is why Apostle Paul, with his great ability to teach and preach, he prays to God for mercy. And that is our prayer for one another. Your prayer for me. You pray this prayer for me. I pray this prayer for you when I think about you. They were real life people, Philippians, in that great city of Philippi. Big city, military city, garrison city. People had problems. Paul prays for their love to abound more and more. Is that relevant? Is it relevant in 21st century when we have so many things to think about and worry about? I, I believe so. I think so. This is the main thing. As a Christian, as a couple, as a family, as a church, what is needed is your love. But that love has to grow daily. So you daily use the means of grace. And you daily pray for yourself, for one another. That our God may be glorified and be praised. Let's pray.